that's going to give you that little oomph with the blood sugar, but it's not going to send you up for that roller coaster ride where you're really energetic for 15 minutes and then you're so much more tired because you crash. So, and that's the catch with things like the sugary treats and the sodas, they send you up and then they just break your heart and crash you down. So yeah, we want to look for those things that also have fiber to give us a little bit of a slower burn. And speaking of slow burn at lunch itself, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for these complex carbs that are like extended release when it comes to like a nice, slow, steady rise and fall for your blood glucose. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 43 of season four, number 238 overall. And as we get going here today, I wanted to take a second to say hi to exam roomie Darren Connell, who's listening to us all the way over in Scotland. And if that name sounds familiar, you're listening in the UK, that's because Darren is actually on a TV show called Scott Squad that airs on the BBC. He's a funny guy. I mean, just hysterical. And he's a big fan of the show. And I am a big fan of his. So Darren, thanks so very much for listening, my friend. I greatly appreciate it. And by the way, Darren is also a fantastic comedian. And he's the kind of guy that can make you laugh so hard that he will jolt you wide awake, even if you're dog tired. But here's what we're talking about on the show today. Speaking of fatigue, A recent survey found that nearly half of us start to feel tired as early as noon. We haven't even made it to lunch yet and we're ready for a nap. And then you expect that lunch will wake you right up. But the problem there is if you don't choose your midday meal carefully, you can go from simply having heavy eyes to having to fight off a serious food coma. So what should you be eating to perk you back up, give you some more spring in your step? What are the top foods for energy? Dietitian Lee Crosby is here with the answers for this great health awakening here today. This is a segment that we taped on the exam room live, and we're also going to be opening up the dietitian's mailbag to answer more viewer questions. Also going to be talking about the best ways to beat sugar addiction. And somebody wrote in wondering whether monk fruit sweetener was a healthy alternative to sugar. And can fiber help you lose weight? And then should you cut back on carbs if the scale stops moving during your weight loss journey? So that weight loss plateau, do you take carbs out to get the scale moving again? Lee is going to weigh in on that as well, plus a lot more. And also on the show today, we're just going to go ahead and supersize it because we're also going to be having a conversation with one of the coolest cats in poker. World Series of Poker champion and devout vegan Daniel Negranu is here on the exam room today. And just wait until you hear the lengths that Daniel goes to to get a plant-based meal when he's in the middle of a long poker tournament. You want to talk about going all in? on a vegan diet, it is amazing. It is amazing what he's doing. And plus, he's just a fun guy as well. I think that you're really going to enjoy the conversation. But let's go ahead and get started today by waking up with the dietitian's mailbag, Lee Crosby, and the foods that are packed 
with energy. Lee, how you living? I am doing great, Chuck. How are you? I'm doing good. Do you fall into that category of nearly half of us? I think it was like 42% of Americans start to feel drowsy by noon. Do you fall into that category? Depends on the day, Chuck. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on if my very sweet doggies kept me up in the middle of the night. Mm, Uh, We just adopted a pair and they are all kinds of fun. But no, really, it is um, typically no, thankfully. That's good. That's good. Now, I know that like sleep deprivation can play a huge role there, right? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that. But I also know that food plays a very big role. So this person who watches us every week, they wrote in, they hit us up on Twitter, wanted to know, well, what are the foods that I should be eating? What are the top foods that can give us an energy boost? All right. Yeah. So again, you're not going to undo no sleep the night before. But in terms of things you can do to mitigate that, um, a couple of favorites. First, if you need a quick boost that is not going to then crash you later. I like fruit. So if you're just, I need a snack, I'm falling over. You know what? Have, have an orange, have some berries, have some grapes. So that's going to give you that little oomph with the blood sugar, but it's not going to send you up for that roller coaster ride where you're really energetic for 15 minutes. And then you're so much more tired because you crash. So, and that's the catch with things like the sugary treats and the sodas, they send you up and then they just break your heart and crash you down. So (laughs) yeah, we want to look for those things that also have fiber to give us a little bit of a slower burn. And speaking of slow burn at lunch itself, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for these complex carbs that are like extended release when it comes to like a nice, slow, steady rise and fall for your blood glucose. Um, So those are things like beans and whole grains. And then you're going to also want to give yourself a nice injection of antioxidants with some preferably dark leafy greens, because you guys know me, but any of those fruits and vegetables, particularly fresh fruits and veggies, that's anecdotal. I just think they're more refreshing and kind of a little bit of a pick me up. Mm, I'm a big fan of the of the fresh fruit. I mean, especially right now, right? So oh, like man. warmer weather, everything's yeah. coming into season. I'm driving yesterday and I'm starting to see signs for pick your own strawberries, you know, so that's pretty exciting stuff. Oh, yeah. But let me ask you this. Conversely, if you go for the simple carbohydrates at lunch and say you go to McDonald's or something, right? You get the Big Mac meal. Oh. Is that the kind of food that's really going to drain your energy? What are the the traps that you're looking for there as far as energy suckers that'll send you into that food coma? Okay. So food coma. Yeah. So certainly a Big Mac could do it. It's actually not going to be as much the, you know, refined flour in the bun, although that's not great. It's because a Big Mac is loaded with saturated fat and there's good data in terms of a single high fat meal can do some really rough things to your blood vessels that can make you sluggish. All right. For example, a meal high in saturated fat, like kind of fat that's predominantly found in animal products, it literally thickens your blood after you eat it. So it is just harder for your body to pump blood, for your heart to pump blood all around the body. Well, why does that really matter? Because in terms of wakefulness and giving your brain what it needs to operate, you need blood moving freely up to your brain. So if you have thicker blood, that is going to make that more challenging. Um, The other piece is that it actually that same single, just one high fat meal, one bad lunch choice can also cause your arteries to be a little bit stiffer, which again is going to have that same result of making it harder to get blood where you need it. For me, I need it in my brain. <laughs> I feel like the struggle is real. So making sure that your your blood is flowing freely and can get where it needs to go means staying away from those like fast food lunches. And then again, 
like I did mention, those refined things, your sodas, your candy, your white flower products, they're just going to raise you up. And for a second, it's like, wee, you know, you're on the roller coaster, but that crash that follows is just not worth it. Now, caveat, obviously, if you're having a caffeinated soda, that's going to give you an exaggerated burst of energy. If you do feel like you need a little caffeine, I'm going to make a plug for better sources. So things like green tea, right? That's a pretty healthy source. It's got some other, you know, phytochemicals in there that can be beneficial. Um, even a small amount of coffee earlier in the day. There's some controversy around coffee, but again, it's it's actually, I think it's still the top source of antioxidants in the U.S. diet, which actually just doesn't say much for the U.S. diet. But, you know, it's got some benefits to it, but not if it's going to interfere with your sleep later that night. So again, if you're going to have any caffeinated beverage, have it early and in moderation. And the last thing I'll say about this, and it is amazing to me on a personal level, but the science supports it, is that even mild dehydration can cause issues with mood and concentration. And I think that's what a lot of us are struggling with at like, you know, that two o'clock, three o'clock hour mood and concentration. And if you're staying optimally hydrated, you're going to give yourself the best chance of having a much better outlook on life and being able to focus more. So keep that bottle of water or glass of water on your desk, sip it throughout the day. If you're out working or on your feet, just keep a water bottle there and be sipping on it. We've done something like 400 shows between the podcast and this live show here. And that is the first time that I've heard about a link between dehydration and mood. And really? and that is incredible to me. Yep. That is amazing. Look at you dropping science. And it's real. Bombs. So I always have my giant, it looks like a coffee mug, but it's actually just water. So it's always here on my desk. I try and keep it full and drink it down. And yeah, it's pretty wild that, that something as simple as just being mildly dehydrated can have an effect on how well you're able to focus in the afternoon. So just keep slugging that water back. Cheers to hydration, my friends. Indeed. Uh, Cecil, by the way, is checking in. Uh, new to the whole vegan diet. She said she's just soaking in this information. That's so cool. So thanks for being here with us. That's amazing. So if you have a question, by the way, go ahead and post that in the chat, Cecil, and we'll do our best to uh, get you an answer here on the show today. Uh, Follow-up question to what we were talking about as far as foods for energy. Alma is wondering whether or not you recommend drinking green smoothies throughout the day for a little pick-me-up. You know, I don't know that I would sip on it all day long just because you want to give your body a break between when it is digesting and when it is, you know, giving getting a chance to, to process. So you want to give it some time to digest before you hit it again with more calories. So as a general pick me up, though, I am going to very much two thumbs up on the green smoothie, leaning it more towards the vegetables, but putting enough fruit in there to give you a little boost. That's actually... Are you a dietitian, Alma? Because that is actually one of the tricks that I will use um, on days when I'm in the clinic is to have a green smoothie because you can you can down it pretty quickly and it gives you a nice little boost. Although I should say in a perfect world, you would eat it with a spoon to slow your intake so that your blood sugar doesn't go up quite as quickly if you're putting a lot of fruit in there. But yeah, no, that's a great choice. And what is what is your go to smoothie if you're making it yourself in the kitchen? What are you putting in there? Oh man. So I am putting in a, I'm putting in mango. I'm putting in kale or collard greens or spinach. I'm putting in water. I have a true confession. I use the very tiniest amount of the Vega protein and greens protein powder, not for the protein, but the flavor is amazing. I really love <laughs> so I just put, I don't even put anything near a whole scoop. It's a little tiny, like a, like an eighth of a scoop. Honestly, it's like a teaspoon, but I really love the flavor. Um, I'll also dump a little vanilla extract in there ground flaxseed, 
And then um, if I have grapes, those are going in as well. And any random vegetable that's sitting around that seems like it would work, like cucumbers or celery, that'll go in there too. So that's sort of my mango, mango and a green frozen. Oh, of course, frozen mango, frozen mango and a green. That's sort of my base. And then I just go to town from there. Oh, yeah. You you just can't go wrong with frozen mango and some sort of a green, right? I mean, it's just like the healthiest, greatest combo. But I got to ask, Chuck, what's your green smoothie of choice? Oh, man. So, all right. So here's what we're doing. We're going kale. We're going heavy on the kale. I mean, we want to fill that blender up. We want this thing thick. We want like green mud just from kale, right? And then we've got some frozen bananas. We've got some fresh apples. We got some fresh strawberries. We got the fresh mango in there. That's right. And then we blend all that up. Now, if I'm feeling spicy and like I want a little bit of chocolate, I will put a scoop of uh, cacao powder in there and... You know, because you just can't go wrong with that nut chocolate combo. Sometimes I'll put just like a half a tablespoon of peanut or almond butter in there just for a little bit of flavor, right? So it's not a whole lot. So you don't have to worry about too much fat or calories if that's a concern of yours. So you put that in there, man, and it is just a flavor explosion and it is heaven in a cup. It is so, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Now I think I might have a smoothie for lunch instead of my regularly scheduled lunch. Okay. I'm telling you, it's so good. It's so, once it hits your lips, it's so good. So everyone Uh, listening out there, take notes on this. The next right. smoothie awaits. So uh, those smoothies are pretty sweet, but if you notice, neither Lee nor myself had anything in there with added sugar. But we do have a question from somebody right now who is struggling with sugar addiction and wondering what are some great ways that they can go ahead and try to break that sugar addiction. Because I know that this person is not alone. Oh, no. And frankly, I have my own, I have had and continue to have my own struggles with, oh, man, the sweet things, the baked goods, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy, particularly because so many of these products, particularly the commercial ones, you know, they're combining sugar, fat and salt and putting it all together in this package that is designed to be irresistible to us. And lo and behold, it sure is. So a couple of thoughts here. First, Taking a week or so to transition if you're not already on sort of a low fat whole food plant based diet can be really useful because it gives you a chance to experiment before you jump in. And then it will often suggest this to try it all in for a few weeks, right? But don't do it alone. If you can possibly find a friend to do it with you, you not only will build the friendship, but you'll also have that support system that you're going to need because it's hard. You're going to be breaking old habits. You're going to be fighting a sugar addiction. Um, these are things that are, are not easily done alone. So find your find your buddy to do that with you. I Inevitably, when I see people who are successful, they have found at least one person who is is there with them alongside them, supporting them along the way. So that's step one. Um, And just sort of a more anecdotal, I've seen people get really good results when they have a fun, concrete goal for themselves. Right. So they're breaking their sugar addiction. They're saying, "Okay, I'm not doing any added sugar for the next three weeks because I'm looking to train for a 5K or some people are doing a half marathon, or even if it's just building up to, I want to be able to walk two blocks instead of half a block. Having that concrete goal in mind helps. Um, two more thoughts here. One is catching yourself when you slip. No one is perfect, right? And here's the other piece when it comes to eating healthy. I'll eat healthy tomorrow. Have any, I mean, I've, <laughs> how many times have we said this? Um, tomorrow never comes. So the second you catch yourself, 
right? If you kind of lose it, don't be like, well, the rest of the day is just shot. Nope. You are going to just climb right back up on the wagon the second you catch yourself and go from there. And then the final piece here, this works beautifully. If you, if you are comfortable using any kind of like app or tool, or even just writing things down, record what you eat. Um, generally speaking, unless someone has like a history of an eating disorder, you want to do this. But for others, I've heard this, and I can't remember who said it, but what gets measured gets better. And if you're seeing what you're consuming and you're seeing, oh, here's the calories and the fat and the grams of fiber, the things we're worried about, it can be really motivating to stop when you are to the point where you need it and also to adjust what you're eating to make sure you're getting that fiber, those kinds of things that you need in your diet. So those are my suggestions. But Chuck, I'll turn it to you because I know that food has, you know, that's been a struggle for you too. What are your, what are, what's your advice on this one? Oh man. Uh, uh, <laughs> so w- when it comes to any kind of craving, right. And, and beating an addiction, it just, it, to me, one of the things that really has helped me and, and continues to help me to this day is just kind of acknowledging the fact that cravings are not going to be pleasant. Okay. But you, for whatever reason, Lee, I find that if you just accept that, and you just, you know, that it's the, the time is just for lack of a better word, it's going to suck for these 10 to 15 minutes, however long this craving is going to last. But if you accept that it somehow becomes easier to deal with, right? Because you're no longer in this wrestling match. You've just kind of like conceded that this isn't going to be a pleasant time, but because you recognize that and you're not fighting it, it becomes easier to deal with that. And before you know it, the time passes and over time, these cravings become less and less and less of a, of an issue and less frequent at that as well. So that is something to this day that continues to help me is just riding out the wave and knowing that it's just going to stink for the time being, but soon it shall pass and you will be a okay. So don't fight it. Just go with it. Don't give in. You're going to be just fine. Um, Lee, here's another question. A lot of people now looking for alternatives to sugar. We're having somebody ask specifically, Vicky is, what are your thoughts about monk fruit as a sweetener? So monk fruit, that's a great question, right? So we don't have a lot of data specifically on monk fruit extract. It's very, very sweet, like a couple hundred times sweeter than sugar. So it really does give food that sweet flavor. Um, it is non-nutritive, so it is calorie-free. And most of the research shows that these you know, calorie-free sweeteners don't have a huge impact on blood sugar or blood sugar control, looking at you know, some meta-analyses. Um, but again, none of this is really looking at monk fruit extract specifically. We do have one study from back in 2017, and they looked at aspartame, monk fruit, stevia, and sugar or sucrose-sweetened beverages, along with insulin and glucose. And what they found was that Of the four drinks, only the sugar-sweetened drink caused blood sugar to spike right after drinking it, as you would expect, right? I mean, they're dumping a bunch of sugar in a glass and giving it to you. It's going to raise your blood sugar. But the calories that people saved, and this has been pretty consistent, by having one of these calorie-free sweetened drinks, they make those calories up at the next meal. In this case, they gave people a lunch an hour later. And what calories they didn't get in that sweetened drink but that their body was kind of expecting because they were taking in something sweet, they increased their calorie intake at the next lunch. So the answer is we don't have any reason not to think it's safe at this point. Um, there's I, again, but part of it is just, there's not, there's not a ton of data out there. So my general recommendation on these, even the more natural, you know, natural non-caloric sweeteners is to use them in moderation, if at all, 
Um, particularly if you're trying to overcome a sugar addiction, having something that triggers those sweet receptors doesn't really let your taste buds change. And that's what you're going for. So I would, I would moderate or not moderate to not at all if you can help it. That is so true that you make up those calories at the next meal. Yeah. That is, I mean, I used to like tell myself that I would drink this diet lemonade oh, just so yeah. I could have the brownie for dessert. I'm not even <laughs> lying to you. This, this oh, is 100% true. That's uh, diet math, isn't it? Oh, it is. <laughs> it's probably trying to not do diets per se. Diet <laughs> math may not always be accurate, man, but it is a serious science nonetheless. Um, <laughs> good golly, Miss Molly. Uh, yeah. All right. So brownies aren't going to help you lose weight, but uh, we have somebody here. Millie is wondering uh, about fiber and weight loss, says that uh, she has read that fiber can help you lose weight. Is that true? And if so, can taking a supplement such as Metamucil help get you going in that direction? Oh, interesting question. So absolutely fiber helps with weight loss. But I think one of the reasons and I confess, I don't know specifically, I've not looked at the data on Metamucil and weight loss, <laughs> so, which I think Metamucil, if I recall correctly, is psyllium fiber. And I don't know of any data on that either. But I also I have not looked recently. Um, we know that fiber helps people to feel fuller longer. I suspect it is going to be the fiber that you find in a whole food and the reason that is, is these high fiber whole plant foods tend to be lower in calorie density. What that means is you're getting more volume of food for fewer calories, which is a great way to lose weight or stay at your healthy weight. So I think that's probably the driving force behind the fiber connection with weight loss. And But that's a real force because your stomach does have stretch receptors, right? And fiber helps trigger those stretch receptors to let your brain know that it's actually had enough food. And that's one of the things when you're eating something like a donut or a burger, there's no fiber. It takes up very little space in the stomach. So you can just keep eating and eating and your brain is like, well, we're not full yet. So we're just going to keep on bringing in more calories, way more calories than the body can actually use. So I don't, I expect that if a fiber supplement was an easy way to lose weight, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. That's just my thought. I don't mm. know for sure. Um, but if Metamucil led to reliable weight loss... <laughs> Metamucil will be rich and <laughs> I would have to find a new job and that would be okay. I would be fine with that. But uh, so I suspect not, but I can't say for sure on this fiber supplements, but I sure can say on those high fiber whole plant foods that absolutely they are linked to being at a healthy weight. All right, let's take a question here from Cloverly, wrote in at 1221. Cloverly says, I've been plant-based for two weeks, but have not seen a lot of weight loss. What can I do? Oh, good question. All right, Cloverly, thank you for asking that. So a couple of things to look at. One is to look at what kind of plant foods are you eating? So are they really and truly whole food? <laughs> That's step one, right? So make sure it's not like some naturally thing sneaking in because a lot of these more whole food processed products are still going to be adding a ton of oil and it's kind of sneaky sometimes. So look for that. If you've already looked for that, then you're going to look at, okay, well, I'm on a whole food plant-based diet, so I'm not adding oils, but am I eating foods that are naturally really high in fat? And why that matters is because fat is more than twice as calorie dense than either carbohydrate or protein. So the same amount of fat, you're getting twice the calories you'd get in that volume of protein or carbohydrate. So you're going to look for things like nuts and seeds. Even if it's in something like a salad dressing, you're going to look for avocado. And if you're leaning really heavily on those foods or you're having them, you know, with every time you eat, you're going to want to dial back on that if you're trying to lose weight, just because it's so easy to bring in a whole lot of calories. Um, 
you can slow yourself down with the nuts and seeds by having to crack them open yourself <laughs> if you want to try. <laughs> that adds an, a little sport and gives your brain, again, some time to catch up to, oh, wow, wait, we've had enough calories. Um, so those would be the two. I would look for sneaky, not whole food things, and I would look for the amount of um, fat in the diet. And then the last piece is just, are you eating more than you need? Because sometimes if you're eating out of stress or boredom, you might just be eating more than you need. And while it's harder to do that on a whole food plant-based diet, it, it can happen. Like you can eat, you can eat more than is judicious just because you're eating for boredom or stress, which I'm not saying <laughs> I'm also guilty of this. So I understand um, those are the things that I would look for. All right. Uh, let's uh, flash forward. Say somebody has been losing weight, but then they hit that plateau. So we have a couple of viewers right now who have actually hit that plateau. Uh, one uh, at 1217 who's watching us on Facebook. We have another one in the mailbag from a viewer on Instagram uh, who took it a step further and wants to know that now that they've hit this weight loss plateau, should they start <laughs> to limit their carb intake? I would say no. Um, assuming you're already on the sort of lower fat, whole food, plant-based diet. So first off, plateaus are expected. I don't know that we necessarily know what causes them, but I've seen them in the clinic where people are losing weight and they're doing great. And then their weight loss just levels out. And sometimes it can be for weeks and I don't understand it. They don't understand it. Nobody really gets it, but it happens. So part of it, I might just say, stay the course. If you've been steadily losing weight and you've just flattened out, I would give it a few weeks. Don't change. You don't, I wouldn't change anything and just see if it then resumes. If it doesn't resume, I wouldn't, carbohydrate is not like a food. <laughs> so it's tricky to be like, I'm going to reduce carbs. Like, are we talking like donuts and bagels carbs? Or are we talking like beans and oats and fruit carbs? So I would say if you get to that point where you've leveled out, you've given it a few weeks and you're still not seeing any weight loss, that's when I would go through and really I would amp up the fruits and vegetables and maybe bring down some of the whole grains. I, it breaks my heart. And it, I can't even say that for beans because they're so linked to healthy weight. Um, maybe, but quite honestly, this might just be part of the natural progression of weight loss where you just hang out for a little bit and then your weight will decrease. Um, but no, I would not cut carbohydrates. I would go through and look first for any added oils or things that are sneaking in there before I went after those complex carbohydrate rich foods. All right, let's go ahead and uh, bounce back over to sweeteners. Uh, we have a follow-up question here from Sally. Wants to know, do sweeteners affect the kidney? What do you know about that? Oh, you know, I don't know anything specific about sweeteners affecting the kidney. Obviously, if you have high blood sugar, if you have prediabetes or diabetes, that is not great for the kidney. What I do know is really bad for the kidney that is linked oftentimes with these artificial sweeteners are diet colas, any colas because they contain something called phosphoric acid. And any of these phosphoric or phosphate additives are really, really tough on your kidney. They're hard for your kidney to get rid of. So any soda, any, I mean, just don't drink soda. <laughs> in a perfect world, just don't, um, or in very tiny amounts. Um, but anything that has like the phosphoric acid in it, so any of your cola beverages, many of which are artificially sweetened, um, those are going to be really hard on kidney health. There may be some other data on the artificial sweeteners with kidney health <clears throat> or the other non-caloric sweeteners. I'm just not aware of it, but I do know there's that issue very much with diet and regular cola types of sodas. 
You know, the sweeteners are an interesting thing. I remember as a kid being terrified of the the pink packets. I think that was sweet and low because they they came with that warning, like may cause cancer. And (laughs) I always wondered like, well, why in the world are you selling this if it may cause cancer? Like it never really made sense to me um, that they would be like, hey, you know, have this. It can cause cancer. By the way, so can cigarettes. You know, cigarettes aren't healthy, but this is just fine. What, you know, what is that? Yeah, no, I tend to, particularly the artificial, I stay way away from the artificial sweeten, artificial calorie-free sweeteners. I, when I use calorie-free sweeteners, I tend to go towards the sort of stevia route, but even those have some issues now. There's some question with stevia and, you know, gut health. So it just, it's probably better to not cross the board. All right, Fiber Queen. Question from Mark here. Wants to know, is there a limit to the benefits you get from whole plants and fiber? Is more always better or are there adverse effects for having too much? Too much fiber. I Um, know. I think the too much fiber would come in in the form of a supplement, right? So if you're eating the actual whole plant foods to the amount that your body needs until you're full, I don't know of any adverse effects of fiber. I do know of lots of beneficial effects, not just in terms of triggering your brain to know, hey, I'm full, but in terms of helping grow the kind of gut flora that's going to give you vibrant good health and longevity. Um, I will say this, if you're not accustomed to eating high fiber foods, there are going to be some gastrointestinal consequences from (laughs) drastically increasing your fiber intake rapidly. So you're going to want to do that slowly and gently because there is there is that sort of gradient of, okay, I'm going from the standard American diet and I'm transitioning onto this whole food plant-based diet. There are going to be negative consequences if you ramp up your fiber in a couple of days. You, you, there will be bloating. It will be uncomfortable. So please don't do that. Do it gently. No um, yeah. So other than that, no, y- yes, fiber can interfere with the absorption of some nutrients, but you're getting so many nutrients on a whole food plant-based diet that it not only counteracts, but exceeds any of the effects of fiber. So no, I really stay away from the supplements. Just eat your fiber in the whole foods the way it was put there. Now you mentioned whole foods there a couple of times. We have a great question from Pinar who's wondering, how would you define whole foods? What are they exactly? Oh, that's actually a really good question. And surprisingly like hotly debated in the nutrition community, like what qualifies as whole? Um, Whole to me is looks like something that could have grown outside (laughs) in a perfect world. Then there becomes, so that's a really simple kind of blase definition. Then it gets a little more, well, what if you take the whole grain that looks like something that could grow on a, you know, a stalk and then you grind it up. Is that whole? Um, My answer there is it's better if you eat it like for grains, if you eat it whole and intact, yes, that is preferred. Does that mean you're never going to eat a piece of whole grain bread? No. So if you're going to do a bread, I would like to see the entire thing, like the entire grain of wheat get pulverized as opposed to having the bran and the, you know, all the fiber and everything stripped away and just having a little empty starch that's sort of in the very center of the grain. So that would be, again, for me, the closer it looks to the way it was grown. And then the, again, the processing definition is what's processed. Well, I think that's something you can do in your kitchen to me, and this is just totally anecdotal, my own definition. If I can do it in my kitchen, that's pretty minimally processed, right? I'm not going to use weird chemicals or food additives to like remove, you know, fraction out parts of my food. That's not something I typically, I take the skin off onions. That's about as far as that goes. Um, 
So if you can do it in your kitchen, that's my loose definition of that's still a whole food. That's right. a whole food. You don't clean your cucumbers with Clorox. <laughs> is that what you're saying? I don't like dip them in lie and strip stuff off. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, that sounds awful. Don't do that. Oh, all right. Uh, man, I, I love these mailbag segments because you do bounce around and you get a little bit of everything. Here's a question from um, Tracy. Uh, this is a really interesting one. From what I can see, there are no plant sources of collagen and it is strictly an animal product. But I've seen lots of media hype about bone broth, but I don't believe much of it. If we are wanting to stick to our plant-based diet, what are some collagen building foods that we can add for our skin? Okay, Tracy, you are absolutely right. It's a whole mess of hype and not really any data to support it. Again, everyone's like, oh, collagen, like, where's it coming? It's coming from cows. Where did the cows get it? They got it from plants. And that's where you're going to get it too. So collagen, just a quick overview. That's the sort of main structural protein that's found in like connective tissue and in the skin. Um, And again, the hype surrounding bone broth kind of, it entertains me just a little bit um, because Collagen is made up of the building blocks of protein, which are, Chuck? Fiber? I'm looking ahead, man. Don't catch me off guard. (laughs) I love it. Amino acids. Sorry, that was a very evil sounding laugh. I know. Um, I mean, it's like like a 301. I just asked the questions, okay? (laughs) Oh, you're no fun. Fine. No, no. over. No. (laughs) Amino acids. So collagen is made up of these building blocks called amino acids. There's no magic there. Um, and just like other proteins, when you digest them, you digest them. So you break them down into little, to the little building blocks, those little amino acids, and you absorb those. And then you make those into whatever it is that your body needs, including things like collagen. It's not like your body's going to absorb that whole collagen protein from the collagen and just like stick it right into your skin and your face. Um, so you don't need to worry about that. So as long as you're eating a variety of plant foods, that's including legumes. And I have to make a plug for legumes on a plant-based diet. You got to be eating some legumes to be eating a complete diet. So those are beans, split peas, lentils, tofu, that kind of thing. Um, You're eating that variety of amino acid or protein containing foods, which you're getting because protein is in pretty much everything. You're going to be getting what you need. Now, what other things do you need to make collagen besides protein? And this is the important part because again, having the collagen, your body's just going to break it down and you'll have some of the building blocks, but you don't have the other things you need to make it. Um, Vitamin C, critical to building collagen in the body, right? So people probably know this, but you know, fresh fruits and some of the vegetables, some standouts are strawberries, oranges, kiwis, those colorful bell peppers, right? Like the yellow, orange, red ones, the sort of like fiesta color ones. Those are fantastic in terms of providing the vitamin C your body needs to make collagen. Your body also needs iron, not too much, but just enough iron to make collagen. So that's a nice plug for more beans and greens. So if I had to pick like a meal that was like the ultimate skin building meal, I would be saying beans on a whole grain, right? Like brown rice or quinoa. So you're getting that full, just not that you need to combine your proteins at once, but you just, again, this is just the optimal all at once. Beans on a whole grain, so like a beans and rice with chopped red and orange bell peppers and then strawberries or oranges for dessert because you're getting your protein, you're getting your iron, you're getting your vitamin C, and you're going to have what you need to make your skin glowy, dewy, and wonderful. I will also point out that because you're not taking in some of the scary things that are found in bone broth, and what by that I mean are the heavy metals that accumulate in bones that can then leach into the broth, so things like lead and cadmium, you're going to be better off for it. So you are absolutely correct to stay away from the bone broth and to eat those other collagen building plant foods. 
Yeah, let me redeem myself here uh, because I failed that <laughs> quiz miserably. A oh, ago. You, you mentioned iron and vitamin C, and they do yes. go together like peas and carrots. So if you're, you're trying to absorb that iron, you're going to want a little bit of vitamin C with that to uh, make sure that you do absorb it to the best of your body's ability. Thank you for the plug. That is very important information. Thank you. See, redemption. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, question, we, we have time for a couple of more. Uh, <laughs> quiz, uh, question from Yolanda here at 1230. Back to sweeteners. What about dates or maple syrup as a sweetener? Would that Ooh. be a healthy option? Good question. Um, I prefer dates to maple syrup. I mean, for taste, I like them both. <laughs> but in terms of the health content, I like dates because they are coming with all the fiber, right? And so you're having maple syrup. That's it's still a natural product, agreed, but it's a it's a you know sap out of a tree. They concentrate it down, so it's basically just a concentrated form of sugar that doesn't have any fiber to slow its absorption. I know you're going to put it on things, so I get that. And a little bit of maple syrup is fine. But it, hey, if you're asking which is better, which is like in a more perfect world, which would I do? I'd have a date. So if I'm going to sweeten up a smoothie because I don't know, maybe the mango wasn't good that day or whatever, I would take the pit out. Has anyone tried the? <laughs> Does anyone accidentally put the date in the blender with the pit in it? It's pretty exciting. Um, (laughs) But I would use, I would, yes, I would go for the date every time. And they actually make date sugar. That's kind of hard to find, but if you can, it's great because it's literally just dehydrated ground up dates, but it works like sugar for the most part. I don't know about baking applications necessarily, but yeah, it's a, it's a great choice. You bet. All right. Uh, next to last question comes to us from Betsy. Uh, what are the best foods for osteoarthritis? Osteoarthritis. That's a tricky one because there's no perfect, you know, we don't really know what to do. But what I can tell you is going for that whole food plant-based diet, again, is going to be useful and gently moving the joints because what's bringing, joints don't actually have great blood flow. So what's going to bring in better blood flow and help those tissues remove waste and bring them oxygen and nutrients is going to be gentle movement as, as approved by your healthcare provider. Um, But in addition to that, you're going to want to be eating things that are rich in antioxidants, things that are going to help your cardiovascular health. Again, why? Because joints are very sensitive because their blood flow is not great. They're sensitive to limits in blood flow. And what's going to limit that? Well, atherosclerotic plaques and arteries and veins that are that have stiffer, stiffer walls and that don't give and bring blood to that area. So that heart healthy, whole food plant-based diet is going to be great for joints. Um, And then again, anything that's sort of anti-inflammatory, we're going to come back here, especially to dark leafy greens. Those are going to be beneficial. Um, I'm all about people adding turmeric to their foods. Um, Some of the high dose supplements I get a little iffy about because they can interfere with iron absorption, but um, adding some of those anti-inflammatory spices like turmeric with a little black pepper to enhance absorption of the curcumin that's in there. Um, I think those are a great addition. So yeah, things like ginger, garlic also right up there. I want to rile up the people watching right now. Is oh dear. Turmeric or is it turmeric? Hmm? All right. Weigh in on that debate, man. I've seen some like hot, hot I did comments not know that. that was a thing. Oh, it's a big thing. People take that very, very seriously. Turmeric or turmeric? I don't know. Choose your words wisely. Apparently I'm on team turmeric, but I might be wrong. <laughs> oh, you're a turmeric person. I mean, phonetically, yeah. I, I think that you're absolutely right. But there is a great majority of people who say turmeric. So and I don't, English I don't is know. not a phonetic language. So, mm-hmm. you know. No, no, no. We kind of make it our own. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Final question actually comes to us from the person who has the screen name of the day. Carved up Kayla 
as well. Oh my gosh, that is the best screen name I've heard. So alliterative, so perfect. Carved up Kayla. Love it. Yes. Love it, right? She actually is wondering what's the best route to become a dietitian. Oh, well, I'm so glad you asked. If you are in school, if you're looking to go to college, you're going to look for a school that has a didactic program in dietetics. Not all schools have these. I went undergrad to the University of Virginia, and I didn't even know dietetics was a career field because that was not at my school. So you would go to eatright.org, and you would look up the schools that offer, um, have a didactic, which is fancy for teaching, a didactic program in dietetics, um, and go to one of those. Um, preferably for an undergrad. If you are a career changer, as I was, you are going to need to complete a didactic program in dietetics and very soon also a master's degree. So again, you're going to go to eatright.org and look for programs that offer you the coursework you need to be a dietitian. And then you are either going to, as part of your master's program, do an internship, which is, I forget, 900 or 1,000 hours of supervised practice in hospital settings and food service and outpatient in the community. Um and what did I miss here? Um, I think I covered all the bases. Oh, and you'll meet with whichever, if you are coming in as a career changer, you may have already covered some of the um, <clears throat> prerequisite courses that you would need to become a dietitian. So, you know, if you did some science back in school or some math courses or stats or any of those kinds of things, some of that's going to count in your favor. So you may not have as much room to travel as, or as long, as far to travel as you think you do. So it's an awesome profession. I think it's a great profession also at any age. There are lots of, you don't have to be 20, 22 to go be a dietitian. There are plenty of people in their forties and fifties and beyond who do this. So let me encourage you. We need more people who have plant-based nutrition knowledge to join the field and uh, yeah, keep this whole plant-based revolution going. I love it. And it's it's going strong. I mean, it's it's gaining steam. I mean, as more and more science comes out there, more and more people are kind of seeing the light here, which I think is really cool. The fact that it's not just Joe's blog telling you to do this. I mean, we, we have like serious Joe. scientific data that backs up everything that it is that we talk about here uh, at the Physicians Committee and certainly here on the exam room. Um, so that is very cool. Yes, go become a dietitian. The world needs more people just like that. Uh, and as to the turmeric, turmeric, debate. Um, Here we go. JL uh, says that she's having a debate with uh, their sister about this. Okay. So it's the sibling rivalry, turmeric versus turmeric. And then uh, here, here you go. Comment of the day, tofu Tuesday, turmeric, (laughs) turmeric. There's an R in there. And while we're at it, turmeric, team turmeric for the week. But, 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 but wait for it. Wait Uh for it now. So she, she says, while we're at it, it's Uh instant pot, not Instapot. Thank you. Instant Thank pot, you. Not Instapot. It's instant pot. And there's a T <laughs> on there. I, what's Tofu Tuesday? Is that, is tofu that right? Tofu Tuesday. Yes. All right. Tofu Tuesday. Yes. Representing. Yes. I know, man. I, I love the Ruby so much. You guys just bring me. Uh, just tofu so Tuesday much uses joy. the Oxford comma too. Don't I support? Oh yeah. I know. Carved up Kayla Tofu Tuesday. It's an alliterative. Kayla. Okay. I heard Kayla. Carved up Kayla. These are some awesome screen names. Thank you guys for being so creative. They're awesome. They're awesome. By the way, uh, your screen name, Lee at VeggieQuest on IG and on Twitter, Veggie underscore Quest. So go give those accounts a couple of follows. And by the way, if you would like to make an appointment to visit with Lee at the Barnard Medical Center, my goodness gracious, Lee, you're doing telehealth visits. So people don't even need to leave their home. Yes, not every state, but an awful lot of states, Virginia, Maryland, D.C., let's see, California, Kentucky, Florida, 
I think I'm missing one. Arizona. There's another. It's quite a few states. Yeah, I know. advance because the calendar books up. So, hey, <laughs> it does. So uh, here's the deal for a full list of states where services are available with Lee and the other dietitians and doctors at the Barnard Medical Center. And to make an appointment, all you need to do is head over to barnardmedical.org or pick up the phone. Old school, 202-527-7500 to make that appointment. Uh, and yeah, I think it's fantastic. I know that there are a number of listeners and viewers of the exam room, Lee, who have made appointments with you and they have not been disappointed whatsoever. I hope not. I try my best. I would love to talk to anyone. And again, we have an awesome team at Barnard Medical. So absolutely, if you are on the fence, should I, shouldn't I make an appointment? Do it. <laughs> I'm biased, but I can unbiasedly say, yeah, the team is absolutely fantastic. They are just so enthusiastic about their jobs and their mission and improving your health. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. You guys are super enthusiastic and just want to help. And that makes you just so much better than so many people out there uh, that are providing help. So thank you for caring, Lee. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast, Chuck. And there is a link in the episode notes for you to schedule that appointment at the Barnard Medical Center. And I invite you to join us every Wednesday on YouTube and on Facebook at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific for the exam room live. That is your best opportunity to ask our experts your health questions, or you can tweet me your questions ahead of time. Find me on Twitter, find me on Instagram, at Chuck Carroll, WLC. Just make sure that when you send them, you use the hashtag ExamRoomLive. Let's go ahead and switch gears now and head on over to the poker table. Because there sits one of the most decorated players in World Series of Poker history. A man who has won millions, but is now going all in for his health. And talking about the benefits of a plant-based diet whenever he gets the chance. Daniel Negranu is here to continue his conversation with us today. He and I had the opportunity to chat not too terribly long ago. As a matter of fact, we recorded this right after a grueling heads-up poker match the night before. And I think that you will get a kick out of the way that he describes what his opponent was eating... And you'll also be astounded by the investment. That's what we're going to call it. The investment that he's made to ensure that he can get a healthy plant-based meal during these really long poker tournaments. Just mind-blowingly amazing what he's doing. And I'm so glad that Daniel was able to join us here on The Exam Room. As we continue here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, I'm so excited for our next guest. He is a gentleman who I first became aware of probably 15, maybe 20 years ago now as I first started to follow poker and I'm watching ESPN and, and the World Series of Poker was all the rage at that point. This is a gentleman who is quite successful. You may know him as Kid Poker. I know him as Daniel Negranu, and he is a heck of an advocate for all things plant-based. Daniel, thank you so very much for joining the exam room, my friend. Happy to be on the show. Absolutely. I think that when the typical person who may not be familiar with poker uh, thinks about the stereotypical poker player, they're probably not going to associate that with a vegan. And and so here you are. You Do you feel kind of like an outsider in the poker world because you are eating this healthy, clean diet and an advocate for animals? 
Well, I want to say first and foremost, there's sort of been an evolution in poker. When you think of the old days, you think of people who were overweight, smoking cigarettes, you know, drinking whiskey with a donut and a chicken wing in their mouth, you know, at the same time. But today, you know, the younger players are much more like health conscious. And a lot of them have adopted a plant-based diet or close to it, like a reducitarian type diet, you know, cutting dairy uh, and whatnot. So that it's definitely been a a shift, but I'm sure like certainly when I first, you know, came into sharing the fact that I was vegan, I was probably the only one in poker, maybe a handful of people that were vegan. And now it's, we're seeing it's a lot more common where people are open to it. You know, and I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe the stereotypical player and I'm assuming you see, as we tape this, you're just coming off of a marathon match, I believe against Phil Hellmuth. Um, and, and you guys played a, a high stakes game. How, how long did that one run? Well, we started play at about 5 PM and it went till midnight. So we put in about seven hours of play. Uh, now, and yeah, and obviously, you know, being vegan and feeling like I got the energy and I've got the dreaded carbs. Oh no. You know, like, <laughs> like carbs are the enemy. Don't you dare eat a banana or an apple. That's poison. I mean, I, it's hard to say, like when I think of a nutritionist, if, if I always tell my friends, if a doctor tells you not to eat an apple or a banana, get a new doctor. Yeah. <laughs> that's just pretty nuts. It is. It is insane. And and you knew exactly where I was going with that question too. That's hysterical. So seven hours straight at the table, and I believe I heard on the Switch for Good podcast that you did recently with Dotsie Bausch and Alexandra Paul, who actually connected us here today. Um, you were talking about how players can actually have full meals sent to them during a game. You never really see that on TV. So when you're talking about full meals being sent to the table, are we talking like a full course dinner? Are we talking about a sandwich with a small side? What kind of food are you typically enjoying? Well, me personally, I bring my own, right? Because I want to make sure that it's all healthy. But just as an example from last night, my light went down a little bit. Um, Just from last night against Phil Helmuth, he inhaled a large chicken sandwich and then got sushi and dumplings. And then had a five-pound bag of Sour Patch Kids to wash it all down. So he ate for the duration of the seven hours. I actually didn't. I was, you know, I was good. I was well-nourished, you know. I mean, I had enough energy in me, so I didn't need to do that. So, but typically I bring my own stuff, yeah. That's a heck of a lot to eat. I mean, and and I would imagine if you eat that kind, like back in the day when I used to gorge, like at my heaviest, I was eating 10,000 calories a day. And I remember when I would eat like that, I would just feel so sluggish and bogged down and really probably wouldn't even be able to concentrate, even if I'm sitting at a table and playing a card game. Do you find that because of your diet, you have this kind of mental clarity? And as you said, you have this energy because you're eating the carbs. Yeah, for sure. So typically in a poker tournament, there's going to be a dinner break. Like it starts at noon and then around 7 p.m. they break for dinner. And then you're going to play about four or five, five more hours after dinner, right? So for me, I make sure like I'm, I'm obviously eating clean and I don't go out to dinner. I don't have drinks. And my opponents often are, you know, having like turkey and, you know, heavy meals and they come back to the table and it's that last three hours right around midnight or one o'clock where I'm sharp, I'm fresh, I feel great, while my opponent's kind of like, you know, they're on their last leg just trying to get through the day. <laughs> what are some of the weirder conversations that you've had with other players at the table? Because if you're starting a game fresh, you're going to have what, like eight, nine, maybe as many as 10 players at a table. So if only one or two players are, are seeing action on a hand, that leaves plenty of time for conversation in between uh, your action there. So what are some of the stranger conversations that you've had as far as other players inquiring about what it is that you're eating? 
I always get asked, you know, because I always see something exotic. Like, what is that? What a <laughs> but it's interesting to me how often the first reaction to whatever I'm eating is, ah, gross. They've never tasted it. They've never tried it. But they're sort of like brainwashed into believing that if it's vegan and it's healthy, ah, it has no taste. I'm like, how do you know? It's like, imagine taking movie reviews or like advice from people who didn't actually watch the movie. Like, oh, I saw this movie the other day. Would you think it was any good? Oh, it was terrible. Did you see it? No. Right. But that's the first reaction. And part of it, I think, is sort of a defense mechanism where people have to feel justified in defense of, you know, hashtag team bacon. You know, it tastes good. And um, it's it's one sort of way in which they can kind of like hold on to that, really, because they don't want to be confronted with it. Because the typical question I go with whenever this comes up, and this is always the one that strikes them. I ask them something like, how old were you when you decided like to eat cows, but not dogs? And they're like, what, what do you mean? I never ate dogs. I mean, yeah, I understand. But like, when did you decide, you know, like cows are food and, you know, dogs are pets. And like, I never made that decision. I mean, it was just, you know, my parents did. I'm like, exactly. Right. So all your dietary, you know, decisions you made, you didn't make any of them. You were indoctrinated by your parents. Now, maybe your parents, you know, are right. Maybe they're wrong. But the point is you never made this decision and you can't really logically explain to me why it's disgusting to eat a puppy, but not a cow, right? In Asian markets, uh, a lot of them, they all, you know, they sell dogs. They have dogs and, they, and people use it for meat. And for me, there's not a big distinction between that and a you know, pig or a cow, except, you know, maybe they're cuter. Is that the reason? But when you get people to realize that they're asleep on this and they never made these decisions and they can't logically put in, well, because cows were, you know, raised to be animals for food. I'm like, well, dogs can be raised to be food too in Asia, like, you know, it's just, there's no way they can logically, uh, you know, explain it. So that typically at least wakes them up a little bit to go, okay, well, you know, I guess I didn't make these. I, I, what I want to get people to do is like, at some point go, okay, whatever you ate as a child, because I ate meat and potatoes and all that stuff that my parents gave me, whatever you ate as a child, that's based on what your parents thought was good. But you have your own mind now and you can do your own research and you can decide for yourself how you want to live, what you want to eat and the like. Do you find, though, that that kind of puts people on the defensive right away? I mean, that is a heck of a question. I mean, really, you don't know how to answer that. I just think you used bacon as an example. And so, like, Team Bacon, I mean, that is a passionate bunch of individuals. And it seems like no matter how hard you try, you're not going to get them to budge on their opinion of bacon unless you're talking about do you like it crispy or do you like it a little bit more flimsy? But do you find, though, with that approach that there are some people who are just really dug in in the sand and just they won't even consider that, despite the fact that you pose to them a heck of a question? Well, yeah, listen, if somebody goes down the rabbit hole, if it also, and this happens on social media, if, you know, their team bacon, because bacon tastes good. What they're essentially saying is, I don't have an argument. I don't have a legitimate justification other than it tastes good, because I can go down that road. and like, you know, human baby might taste good. Have you ever tried that? You know, it's like, oh, no, that's disgusting. I'm like, okay. Mm. Well, that, and that's obviously a, a different way to take it. But <laughs> what I try to do is when I ask the question, I don't do it in a militant way. I think that's a mistake a lot of vegans make is a lack of compassion and understanding for other people who'd like, listen, they, they're, they're, you know, it's asleep. They don't, they don't know any better, right? So I take it from a place of like a, a calm, you know, a sort of a calm place where I'm not like, oh, yeah, well, well, what do you, why do you eat the cows and not dogs? I'm like, I don't know. It's just, I ask, it's like, so is it, have you ever thought about that? Like, so like why that is, and then they start thinking and you have a conversation with them. You go, hey, listen, I'm not judging you. You eat what you got to eat. And I think that's more important too for vegans is like to understand that like for the, for the world as a whole, even if people 
choose to reduce it, meatless Mondays, reduce vegetarian, like I'm good with that. Like I'm obviously, I would love for everybody to be vegan and we stop factory farming and, you know, move past that, but nothing works that way where it's just like from zero to 60. There has to be gradual steps and we're seeing more and more, you know, impossible burger, beyond meats, all these, you know, exotic, uh, full meats and stuff like that are making it easier for people to go, Oh, you know, I can have a burger and it's a little less, you know, I feel a little less guilty about it or I feel good about what I've done here. So I think we're headed in the right direction. It's just a slow progress, you know, from zero to 60. I think I heard uh, on that switch for good podcast, the same podcast, you were talking about how you have an RV uh, when you do these lengthy poker tournaments, like the world series of poker that you'll park outside so that you can always make sure that you have access to a high quality meal in the conversations that you strike up with people who have asked you about your diet, has any progressed to the point where you invite them onto the RV for dinner so they can try their first plant-based meal? Well, I don't typically go that way, but like, you know, you ask one of the questions I get a lot or not questions, but statements from people is you're not getting all, a, a, you're not getting all your nutrients that you need on a vegan diet. You can't because there's stuff you can't get. And secondly, you know, the big lie, which is like, well, you know, you're not getting the protein that you need to build muscle. And I give them one of these. I'm like, I think I'm no Hercules. You know, I'm like, here, you know, <laughs> there's so much evidence and proof that like, you know, you can build muscle on a plant-based diet and many people do. So I kind of explain to them like, well, then what do you eat? And for a lot of people, they're patient with me and I give them sort of the staples, you know, well, for, for protein sources, I, you know, you, I, I take vitamin B12 and vitamin D. So I take some protein powder as well. I just look at it like an, an additional supplement, but I also eat seitan. I eat tofu. I eat tempeh, and those are my main, you know, protein sources. And I'm getting 150 grams a day. So I try to have this conversation, especially with the healthier players at the table, because that's sort of the new norm, you know. And, uh, you know, they have a lot of questions. So, like, well, what do you eat if you transition? Because that's, that's, that's a big reason I think a lot of people try veganism and then, you know, go away from it, because they are missing things, because they're not, you know, educated on what they need to eat. So I remember when I first went vegetarian years ago, what did that mean? I just ate cheese pizza. You know, like, what, am I eating healthy? That's not healthy because I wasn't, you know, educated on it. So a lot of people, and then the people take this extreme, like, oh, I'm going to be a raw foodist or only eat fruit. I'm like, whoa, hold the phone, okay? <laughs> you can have some processed food. You can have some fun. I had a bag of chips right before this, uh, you know, this thing. It was fantastic. As long as for the most part, you know, most of your nutrients are coming from, you know, plant-based whole food diet. Yeah. And I think that you really hit the nail on the head. I do worry personally that we get wrapped up in this all or nothing mentality. Um, some would even call it an elitist mentality that if you're not eating super clean or completely raw, then you're doing it wrong. And I think that that's really a turnoff yeah. uh, for a lot of people who otherwise would entertain the idea of switching to a plant-based diet, because the way that I see it personally and I can't speak for the organization. This is just me personally. There's still a lot of good that comes with eating the the Impossible Burger or Gardein products or something like that, especially when you factor in the environmental and the animal side of eating a vegan diet. Yeah, look, I mean, nobody likes to feel stupid. Nobody likes when somebody is condescending to them. Nobody likes when you say to them, I'm better than you as a human being because of the way that I eat right? You may actually have that belief in your system. You might actually believe that because you're vegan, you're morally superior. Don't make the person feel morally inferior because if you do that, they're going to be on the defense. You're not going to get anywhere with them. They are just going to continue to, you know, push back against anything you say, right? And it's a really, the, and I agree with you so much when, you know, in saying that it's like, it's elitist, right? Um, you know, good for you. You've, 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 you know, you've, I, I always 
you know, sort of encourage people. And they're like, oh, what'd you think of the Impossible Burger? It was pretty good, huh? I mean, I say, it's, you know, it's not the healthiest thing in the world, but it's, it's a good vegan junk food. Probably a little healthier for you than, you know, eating a real burger. And then you start the conversation about other options. I'm like, oh, you know, did you know Oreo cookies are vegan? You know, and things like that. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions a lot of people have is like they think, you know, when they think vegan, they think, well, they think of all the things they can't eat, right? I can't, you know, oh, I can't eat this. I'm like, you're, you, if you reverse it and go, look at all the things you can. You want to look at my diet? My diet when I'm cutting and I'm actually, in, you know, I'm eating, I make homemade pizzas, cookies, uh, what else do I have? I have like, uh, well, that's yummy. I make muffins. <laughs> I make, <laughs> I make like all natural, like really yummy stuff. And well, I can't even think of all the great food that I, that I eat recently, but like so much great stuff. And it's just like, um, focusing on what is available rather than what isn't is a nice sort of uh, shift for a lot of people who go, oh, I mean, I, what, what, what can you eat? You know, yeah. nothing, we eat pasta every day. Yeah. And, and I think it really is fun to talk to people about that who are willing to listen. And when you run through that list of everything that is surprisingly vegan, it's like, they're like, oh my God, there really is a world of possibilities here. I mean, yeah. When people say to me, it's like, oh, I don't need no vegan food. I'm like, French fries? You, you like French fries? You ever eat French fries? Like, oh, I eat French fries. I'm like, okay, well, that's vegan. Mostly. <laughs> I mean, you can make it with, you know, lard and things like that. But like, that's, that's a vegan food. Because that's the thing. It has a stigma and a label. Vegan food. What is vegan food? If you're, unless you're a carnivist or carnivore, you know, eating that ridiculous diet where all you eat is meat, you are eating vegan all the time. Are you literally never having a vegetable or a fruit, you know, or anything like that? Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think common sense would tell you that you need to eat a well-rounded diet uh, and, and eating one that's exclusively meat is just not going to get you where it is that you need to go. I mean, you're stressed from a young age, even when you were looking at that old food pyramid that included uh, a lot of things, you know, meat and dairy and eggs and things like that on there. It was still, say what you will about it, it was still a well-rounded diet. So you're getting nutrients from a lot of different sources and to just focus on one thing, I don't care what it is that you're eating. If you're eating apples all day, you're still not going to get what it is that you need. Yeah, for sure. Like I look at, you know, the carnivism, you know, carnivism and, and the keto diet, for example, which is, you know, a craze thing. And I'm like, okay, well, so I have, I always acknowledge first, I'm like, there's no question that this is these types of diets. If you, you know, eat the right amount of calories or whatever, you can lose weight. Okay. The question is, are these diets healthy long-term, right? If you're 60, 70 pounds overweight and you decide you want to do a keto diet, you can do that vegan as well if you want, by the way. Um, you can lose that weight. But the question is, can this be a lifestyle? Do you see any players in the NBA or the NHL doing keto? No, because their bodies cannot function on that and on that without the carbs. The carbs is what fuels them to play, you know, games every other night, you know, in, in high-intensity situations. So um, I always acknowledge, sure, like, you know, the carnivore, you know, the carnivore diet, you see guys, they're ripped, they're muscular, they look fantastic. I'm like, but what, what's the inside look like? You know, often, and this is maybe a little bit graphic, um, what comes out of their, you know, back end is little rocks and pebbles, right? There's, there's like no fiber in this diet, right? And a vegan diet is plentiful with fiber. In fact, it's very easy to have too much fiber on a vegan diet, which is another reason I think people, when they first make the switch, they feel bloated, they feel gassy, they're like, oh, you know, they just ate a bunch of broccoli, beans, cauliflower. And I'm like, whoa, hold the phone. That's all fiber. And your body's certainly not used to that. So you want to make sure that you monitor that. But yeah, I mean, anytime you are like excluding necessary nutrients to look good, you know, sure. That, you know, bodybuilders, they do all these weird fad diets, but like, is this something when you're 50 or in your 60s going to benefit you or is it going to hurt you? And more often than not, 
if you're you know ingesting that much animal fat, I can't imagine that's good for the heart. You talk about that bloat when you're making the transition. What was that process like for you? Was it a smooth one or did you, did you hit a little rough patch there? No, it didn't happen for me. And part of the reason I think is it was about 2002, I want to say, where I went vegetarian first. I was like, you know what? Meat doesn't sit well with me. I was having the, the rock problem, if you will. <laughs> you know, <laughs> After I would have a flame in yard next morning, I'm, I'm stuck. So um, I, uh, I just went vegetarian first. So I'm still eating eggs. I was eating cheese. I was eating, you know, butter, milk, those types of things. I wasn't like, you know, very conscious about that stuff. And uh, I did that for about eight months to a year. And then I was like, you know what? The more I, re- you know, realized and read up on dairy, I'm like, this is not good. There's nothing like this is not for me. I am not a baby. I'm not a calf that needs to go from, you know, three pounds to 600 pounds in six months. This is not designed for me. This this is not for the human body. Uh, and once I had a deeper understanding and learned more about it, you know, my interest in veganism grew, right? Because first, it just came down to health. I wanted to be able to not have the rock issue, right? And uh, so we got that handled. And then I learned more, just obviously, I love animals, you know, and I learned more about how, you know, ethical treatment. And then I also realized like, whoa, we were just, this is impossible for our environment. We cannot sustain what's happening to the, you know, lakes and rivers and, you know, just the pollution and and the methane and all that stuff. Like we've got, we've got issues we need to fix soon. And how important do you feel it is for you to talk about those types of concerns and bring that to a wider audience, given the platform that you have? It can be difficult, right? Because then people are going to push back and say, oh, you're a vegan. You know, when you eat your plants, like all these little mice and rodents and bugs, you know, they die too, which, you know, I guess you, you could go down the rabbit hole and you can find a reason to like sort of make an argument against anything, right? Um, has the food I've eaten, you know? come at the hands of some insects and some potential animals? Yeah, I guess so. You know, but I do the best that I can. And uh, again, like I said, I think the most important thing is just not coming from a militant place and acknowledging, yeah, no, I mean, like it's it's difficult because the, issue, the main issue we face in this world is there's too many people, okay? Yeah. There's just way too many people on earth, right? If we didn't have nearly as many people on earth, and I'm not suggesting like, you know, uh, you know, what do you call it? The Avengers, uh, what's Rag, whatever his name, Ragnaros, whatever. <laughs> I can't even remember the name of like eliminating half the population. That's not what I'm suggesting here whatsoever. But we do have issues we have to deal with one way or the other. And I think in the future, uh, while it's not a perfect, you know, blueprint, the vegan, you know, manufacturing of food is going to have a much uh, safer impact on the environment than what we see with, you know, raising, you know, cattle and chickens in inhumanely. And not to mention, I mean, we're, we're in the midst or like we're near the end, hopefully, of a pandemic. Where do these pandemics start? You never see it on a tofu farm. You never <laughs> see it in a soybean factory. It's always, you know, theoretically coming from, you know, these sort of unsanitary, uh, you know, places where animals that are not supposed to be, you know, in each other's grill, if you will, you know, transferring things. And, you know, that's literally where every single one of the pandemics we've had, you know, come from some sort of, you know, manufacturing issue uh, when it comes to animal products. I will say that if there is any silver lining to what it is that the entire world has been going through this past year is that it has forced a lot of us to take a good, long, hard look at our own health. And if you look at the trends as far as where people are are going as consumers and the foods that they're eating, you are seeing a big boost in in those plant-based sales. And it kind of gets me to think about 
the young guys who you were talking about at the poker table, but now their parents and and even in some cases their grandparents are taking that good harm, uh, good long hard look and coming to that same conclusion as well. Yeah, no question about it. You know, the, the business is, the business side of veganism is booming. Like these companies, like at the forefront, obviously Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods. I mean, their stocks, are, you know, skyrocketing, and it appears as though, you know, in the next 10, 20 years, my guess is those two will be at the forefront of supplying a large percentage of, you know, the protein intake for a large percentage of the population. Because again, I don't believe based on the research I've done that it's sustainable for another 30, 40 years of us doing what we're doing now. So we have to come up with solutions. And that's one of them. There's another one too. And people always ask me like, would I eat, you know, lab grown meat, you know, which Mm. you take some DNA and you make a little Petri dish burger or whatever. And I'm like, I'm for it. You know, I think it's a much better option to just, you know, jab a cow with something and take some DNA and, and make a burger out of it. But I don't have any need for it. Like there's no, I mean, I'm not like, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm for it because I think it'd be beneficial for the world. And I support the companies that are trying to make this a reality on a grander scale. But as far as I'm concerned, like that's not the only reason I, I don't eat meat simply because of the environment and because of analysis. Cause like, I don't think there are properties in there that I need, you know? There's always the B12 argument. Well, where do you get your B12? The same place you do from <laughs> supplements because those animals are, what do you think's in their feed? All of their feed has B12 supplements. They eat it. You eat them. You get the traces of the B12 rather than just taking the B12 directly. Nobody gets enough B12 unless you're taking supplements. You can't. It's just not a thing. It's, it's all supplement-based. I wonder how even – if you haven't been eating meat for so many years, how it would even taste to you if you were to try that lab grown meat. And I just, I'm not sure that my palate would, would enjoy that anymore. I really don't think it would. It's funny you say that. Cause when I, when I, I mean, when I ate meat, I'm like the smell of a barbecue, whatever, that would be like a good smell. Now when I smell like meat being cooked, it's gross to me. It actually smell good. I remember the first time I had an impossible burger and I was like, Whoa, hold on. You know, I'm like, you sure you didn't screw me here? And this is because it really does, as far as I remember, I mean, it's been 20 years or so, but as far as I remember it, you know, it tastes a lot like me, which is great again for the transitional phase, but you're right. Like, I mean, when I smell Turkey or I smell, you know, chicken in a microwave or something like that, I have that pungent. I don't know if it smells like death to me or what, but it toxic. Like it does not smell like when I, when when people have takeout food and they order some like Kung Pao chicken or whatever, I smell nastiness, you know, and I don't know if that, I I imagine, obviously, back when I was a meat eater, that wasn't the case. So who knows? I mean, I'm sure, you know, listen, we can't eat, you know, we are omnivores as human beings. So, you know, we do eat meat, a lot of us, and uh, I'm sure I would like to taste. I'm not denying that. I probably would. But again, there's just no need for me to go down that route because I'm, you know, I'm plentiful in my diet. I get, I'm eating 2,500 calories roughly a day. I'm nourished and I feel great and it's well-balanced and my numbers, when I go to the doctor every six months, he literally uses the term pristine. He's like, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm like that. Yes, sir. <laughs> I bet you, though, that lab-grown meat, you would still have that rock problem the next morning. I, I really don't see that changing no matter where that meat well, comes Well, yeah, from. not only the rock problem, but one of the other issues with meat is the animal fat, right? Unless you're going to make this lab-grown meat without the fat, which I guess is theoretically possible. But that's what's leading to, you know, heart disease. And that's, you know, the number one killer, uh, you know, of, of all human beings is heart disease. And you just don't see, I don't even know the percentages specifically, but I don't know any vegans. I've never heard of a vegan, you know, having heart disease, uh, especially if they've been doing it for quite a long time. So, um, 
seems like a safe bet that, uh, you know, heart disease is a toothless tiger. And I remember hearing that in one of the documentaries, uh, if you are on a vegan diet, it's not something that's likely to get you. Let's uh, talk a different kind of health. Let's talk brain health. I was talking to a couple of leading neurologists recently, uh, Dean and Aisha Shurzai. Uh, they are plant-based advocates and talk about how it impacts the brain in just such the most profound and beneficial way as far as eliminating meat and dairy from the diet and how it reduces the risk for Alzheimer's. I'm curious, do you feel like you're able to even think more clearly at the poker table after switching your diet? We talked a little bit about about being sluggish earlier, but as far as just mental clarity and able to really hyper-focus in on your opponents at the table, do you feel like you have a leg up there? Yeah. So in my early twenties, I remember feelings late in the evening of just feeling lethargic, feeling drained. And I would end up just drinking green tea or coffee or whatever the case may be to try to stay awake, you know? And then when I made the switch to a vegan diet and I bring little snacks with me, I might bring some nuts or I'll bring some fruit or whatever. Um, my, my clarity was just extended for much longer periods of time. You know, I could focus before, but sometimes I'd wake up with brain fog. And now, you know, throughout the day, I just feel like for the most part, clarity, I don't get, you know, one of the biggest, most difficult things to do at a poker table is play while you're sick. If you have a headache or anything like that, I don't experience any of these things. Like a lot of things people complain to me about, I'm like, I empathize, but I don't experience them because, you know, I just feel really strong, healthy. And yeah, I think mentally, um, also it's a combination. It's not simply eating a vegan diet, right? Being physically fit, you know, and actually going to, you know, going to the gym and working out in, in, in combination with being a vegan makes you uh, a better athlete for one. And I'm not an athlete, but it certainly helps at the poker table. You know, when, my, when I'm physically stronger then my stamina 12 hours in is simply better. No question. And uh, as we kind of wrap up here, uh, you are a Canadian and I have heard that you love hockey. You spend a lot of time on your fantasy hockey lineup. Is this true? Yes, I'm like addicted. Yeah, I've been in the same league since 1996 with the same group of 20 guys, and it's you know the fun. It's one of the more the, probably the funnest thing I do. <laughs> do you do you have any players drafted to your team that you know of who are eating a plant based diet? I don't actually. I do know some hockey players that were doing it, Mike Zigmanis uh, and a couple others, but I don't know if I have any guys on my team. Oh, you know, I've, I'm trying to. I, I may. May, but no, I can't think of any right now. <laughs> yeah, I I could only think of uh, when I was doing research. I was trying to pull a name before this, and, and I think there were only four individuals that came up. I believe one may even be retired now. Um, and, and it wouldn't surprise me, especially after the release of the Game Changers, if there you know weren't a few more closet vegans in the NHL that just haven't spoken openly yet about their diet. Yeah. Oh, Zadino Chara, I think is pretty, he's, he's, yep. uh, he's old, but he's, I, he's like 43 and still going. He's yeah. either plant-based or he's uh pescatarian. That's I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure he's vegan, but I know he doesn't, he cuts out dairy. Uh, and I think he's predominantly plant-based, but yeah, I think it's one of those topics too, especially hockey. It's sort of the old boys network, you know, vegan, come on, be a real man, have a steak. I get that a lot, you know, real yeah. man. Like, oh, come on, just have a juicy steak. It's like, if I lose at poker, people are like, yeah, that's because you didn't have a nice juicy steak. Eat a steak and maybe you'll win again. Oh, like, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, that that stigma is shattering slowly but surely. Um, I remember when I was covering the Washington football team here in D.C., uh, speaking with a lineman by the name of Trent Williams. He's now out in San Francisco. This is a big dude, 6'7", 6'8", 350. I mean, just enormous. 
and he went vegan and um, he started talking openly about it and, and went off of it because he felt like he couldn't keep on enough weight at that size to perform efficiently. Just signed like the biggest contract in the history of any lineman in the NFL this past offseason. So uh, he, he's going back to it after he retires. He's worried about diabetes. But I think that when you look at everything that happened in Tennessee with those Titans players, you look at Trent Williams, you look at some of his other teammates in Washington who were eating that plant-based diet and others around the NFL, Tom Brady, primarily vegan. I mean, these are some pretty prominent players that are pushing this message forward. And you're doing the same thing in the poker table. So if you and I are having this conversation five, 10 years from now, I really think that we're going to be talking about this can has been kicked a long way down the road. Yeah, no, I think it's already happening. I'm really surprised to hear he thinks that he couldn't keep enough size on. Because, I mean, if you just have like a Canelli bean shake, you can have a 3,000-calorie smoothie if you want it, you know? Yeah. It's not difficult. It's really not difficult to get a lot of calories on a vegan diet. Um, so that, that's a little bit surprising. But, yeah, you know, seeing more and more athletes through Game Changers, which I actually uh, was involved with as a producer. They, they approached me very early on to invest. And I was like, yes, this is a great message. And I think it did a really good job of sort of dispelling a lot of myths that, you know, vegans are scrawny, weak, pale, you know, like emo people. Like we're just, you know, the, the definition of man or doesn't have to be related to meat. But when you watch commercials, you know, Arby's has the meats, like they try to convince you that to be to be a man is like get over that grill and have a dead cow on there and bleeding and go and just you know, eat it. Like that's manly. And I just, I don't know. At this point, I just laugh because it's silly. Yeah. I'm going to pull up that one shot. Flex those guns for us one more time. Yeah. Prove them wrong. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, tell us what you have going on right now over at GG Poker. Well, so ggpoker.com, that's where uh, I play exclusively online. And uh, they're doing a festival this coming up, I think in a couple of weeks, it's a $150 million guaranteed prize pool, which is 150 million, not $150 million prize pool throughout, which is the largest of all time. Uh, they've already got the Guinness Book of World's record for the largest tournament. They had one, which was $25 million for just one event. This will be a series of events for $150 million total. Um, and it's the software is just awesome. It's like a great playing experience. So if you are an online poker player and enjoy dabbling, uh, you know, GG Poker is the one that you want to play on. All right. Daniel Negreanu, thank you so very much for your time, my friend. This has been uh, a lot of fun for me. And uh, man, I, I got to tell you, th- I'm I'm super impressed by by those guns you got, man. Like, are what, what do you just do push ups in between, you know, uh, card games? Like, what 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 is going on there, dude? It's funny. It's all about like cal- caloric input and output. When you're trying to gain muscle, you're obviously going to eat more. I know I burn roughly about 2,300 calories a day. So if I'm trying to cut fat, I eat about 1,800. If I'm trying to gain some muscle, about 2,800. And as far as I just walk 10,000 steps a day on the treadmill with my laptop. And then I work out about four, five days a week just with weights. I'm not doing anything crazy. You know, it's pretty reasonable. It's not all that difficult. Uh, But again, as long as you have a plan and I'm pretty good about sticking to my plan. That's it, man. Well, I appreciate your time very much. Uh, Next time I'm in Vegas, I will hit you up and you can give me some of the vegan hotspots. How does that sound? There are so many great spots in Vegas. You will be very impressed with what's available here I, I was out there not too long ago. I went to Taco Terry, and I thought that that place Ooh. was just amazing. That place is mint. It's nearby. We order that sometimes. It's just so good. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a whole other rabbit hole that we could go down, man. So we'll save that for another time. But I appreciate you today. All right. Have a good one.
A quick postscript to the interview. Daniel and I were emailing after we finished taping, and I asked, had he been to this place called Veg Nation? And he responded back within seconds, and he said, what do you think they call their meatball grinder there? It's the Daniel Negranu sandwich. Touche, sir. Touche. So if you're ever in the market for a phenomenal vegan meatball sandwich and you're in Las Vegas, head on over to Veg Nation and order the Daniel Negranu sandwich. And by the way, Vegas is a really very vegan friendly town. I had a lot of fun there a couple of years ago and did not have any trouble whatsoever eating healthy while I was in town. And before we wrap things up today, I do have a quick favor to ask. If you could please take a second to help us out, help us save a life. It really does only take a few seconds if you haven't done this yet. And that is to subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever shows are available. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating. Because every new subscription and five-star rating helps us climb a little bit higher in the podcast rankings. And the higher we climb, the easier it becomes for those who need this information the most to find it. Because we'll be at the top of the list. It's not about bragging. It's not about being number one for the sake of being number one. It's about being number one to help improve the health of somebody who wants so desperately to change but doesn't know how to get started. And that's where we need your help. Just by subscribing to the show, leaving that five-star rating, you can help that person in need and maybe even save their life. And that's going to do it for us today. I want to say thank you one more time to dietitian Lee Crosby, the fiber queen, for joining us on the exam room live. And also... The greatest poker player I know, and one heck of a vegan, Daniel Negranu, for being here on the show today as well. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs> <laughs>